So Andy's talking about um, the season that they're going into in college where 80% of the students walk away because it is a season, honestly, um, of temptation, right? You get out on your own, all of a sudden everybody's there, and there's just so many things to get involved in, and the enemy is just pounding and pounding away. And we're in this series called Come and See. Right, we're, We've been talking about how we want to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. And we said last week that, yeah, it's talking about conforming to the image of Jesus Christ and what it means to become more like Christ. But how do we know how to do that if we don't know who Jesus is and how he lived his life and what he went through and the examples that he set? So this morning, as we go through this series, we're going to be talking about this whole idea of temptation. Right? Because we want to become more like Christ, we're going to have to overcome the temptations that are thrown at us throughout our entire lives. And again, college, high school to college, big time, a big season where the enemy just comes prowling and comes attacking. And that's why so many people end up falling away. And I don't really care if you, this is your first time in church, in your whole life, okay? And you think, when I say theology, you say, I don't really have a theology. I know nothing about theology. Well, you, you do a little bit, all right? And it's the theology of temptation. Every single person in the world, uh, intuitively, if you will, understands what it is. And when I say temptation, they intuitively know what it is. And they have all, all of us, every single human being has fallen into it, except Jesus, so the question is this morning, how to kind of kick us off, how do you define temptation? Well, this is my definition, if you will. Okay, after kind of looking at a lot of different things, temptation is pursuing and fulfilling what might be a legitimate need, but doing it in an illegitimate way. So kind of looking at that whole, that whole idea, pursuing and fulfilling what might be a legitimate need that we have in our lives, but doing it in an illegitimate way. Like there's nothing wrong with your desire to get a promotion at work. Nothing wrong with that. Unless you lie and manipulate in order to get that, in order to get that promotion, then you fall into temptation. There's nothing wrong with the idea of wanting that promotion. That's a desire that you have. That's a need that you might have. Again, nothing wrong with it. Unless you lie and manipulate and do some other things to get that promotion, then you've fallen into temptation. There is nothing wrong with getting a second, second chocolate chip cookie, right? I'm big time into chocolate chip cookies, all right? New York, I grew up in New York, New Jersey when I was younger, and they had those, you know, the black and whites, and you had the chocolate chip cookies with the chocolate chips on the top, you know what I mean? And then you had them with chocolate chips in, I'm I'm sorry, I digress. But there's chocolate, I love chocolate chip cookies. There's nothing wrong with desiring a second chocolate chip cookie, unless when you ask your mother, can I have a second chocolate chip cookie? She says, how many have you had? And you say, I've only had one, knowing that you've had two. And if you say that and get the second chocolate chip cookie, you have then fallen into temptation. There's nothing wrong with your desire to have the second one. It's when you do it illegitimately, when you receive it illegitimately. So Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. 
the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answers, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point in the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. So, here in the desert, God puts his son in a very challenging position. He puts him, Jesus, in a very, very challenging position. And to try to understand this, we need to know something about this temptation. We need to know more about this temptation to help us follow along and to help us become more like Jesus. How did Jesus handle this situation and this temptation? Well, there's a few ways I'm going to share with you this morning. All right. And the first one is that we need to think this through. It should encourage us that Jesus was actually tempted in the Bible. It should really encourage us that Jesus went through temptation, meaning this, that our temptations, if we don't give in to them, are not sins. Okay, they're not sins. They're only afflictions. They're not sins. Sometimes we think if we're being tempted, we're sinning. We're not sinning. Jesus Christ never sinned once in his entire life. Okay, lived his entire life sinless, which is encouraging so the, what I'm saying is, so being tempted is not a sin because Jesus was tempted and he never sinned. He never fell into temptation. So being tempted is not a sin. It's when we act upon those temptations that it becomes a sin. It moves from just a temptation to a sin. That's number one. So it should be encouraging that Jesus, Jesus Christ was tempted but never sinned because that teaches us that we all, we are all constantly, okay, we are all constantly bombarded with temptations. That is not a sin. Someone bringing something into your life, something happening to you, unless you act upon it, not a sin. Number two, second, we need to realize temptation actually has a purpose, okay? It has a purpose. Jesus, it says, was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. So what's the purpose there? Well, there's actually a dueling purpose going on here, a dueling purpose, you got Satan's purpose in all of this. You have the devil's purpose in all this, the enemy's purpose in this. And then on the other side, you have God's purpose. The devil's purpose in tempting us is always, 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 always to drive a wedge between you and God. That's the, that's the goal, to drive a wedge between you and God. To break fellowship between you and God. And he does that by causing you to sin. Right. Temptation comes, wants you to fall to that temptation because that drives a wedge between you and God. It breaks fellowship with God in this way. God's not walking away from you. But here's what happens. And we all know this. Right. This isn't like you don't have to be a theological giant to figure this one out. 
when you fall into temptation or a season of your life where you're falling away, you end up praying less. When you sin, you just naturally, and it's so silly too, because God knows what we're doing. He's not like you can't hide it from him. So ignoring him isn't going really to fix anything, right? But that's what we do. We stop reading the Bible because we don't, we feel kind of bad. We stop praying because we, it's like when you do something to someone, you can't look them in the eye. You just kind of try to avoid them. And so we try to avoid God and we are, we kind of separate ourselves from God. But that's Satan's plan. That's his goal. His goal is to drive a wedge between you and God and cut off that fellowship by causing us to sin. He wants to bring out the worst in us. That's the goal. To bring, how, how can I bring out the worst in them? Okay. And then he wants us to believe that God's not going to forgive us for falling short. So he tempts us and then tries to bring out the worst in us. And then he tries to make us think that even if we, if we do fall into temptation, that God's not going to forgive us for falling short. How could God forgive you for that? I mean, how many times have you done that? I mean, over and over, if you really cared. You know, someone said to me this morning after the sermon, they said, um, the first service, they said, so, you know, what if someone does something consistently for three years and they keep this behavior going? And I said, well, that's, that's not, that's not sinning and repenting. That's, that's just basically denying that you're sinning and continuing. When you repent though, when you repent, you ask God to forgive you, He forgives you, and then you move on with your life because you're forgiven. So Satan wants you to think, basically, when you do sin and when you fall short, even if you ask for forgiveness, God is not going to forgive you, okay? You've fallen short, that's the end of it. He tempts you, for example, to lose your temper, okay, and then he condemns you when you do. So he'll get you in a situation where he tempts you to lose your temper, and then when you do, he condemns you. But here's the thing. Christians, we need to understand this. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. When you fall short, when you sin, what Satan does is come along and try to condemn you. But the Bible says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because when God sees us, he doesn't really see us. He sees his son. Okay? Perfection. When we sin, we ask for forgiveness through his son. So when we do something, Satan wants to condemn us, shame and condemnation, all this, make you feel miserable about yourself. When the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does when we sin, the Holy Spirit convicts us. When we are convicted of what we've done wrong, we ask for forgiveness. When we ask for forgiveness, we are forgiven, and now we can then move on. Let me, let me help you a little bit with this as well. What happens is the Holy Spirit convicts you, you ask for forgiveness, you're forgiven, and then you don't move on because you feel bad, because you feel guilty still, because you feel ashamed, all those kinds of things. Do, do yourself a favor. When you ask for forgiveness and God forgives you, move on let your feelings catch up. Because your feelings aren't truth. Truth is, you've been forgiven, move on. God has forgiven you. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he separated my sin from me. God chooses, the Bible says, to forget it. So when you're, you're still walking around wallowing in this, and God's, God's chosen to forget it. So why are you still wallowing in it? Okay? This is, what is, this is what's called grace. 
All right? This is how amazing grace is. The other thing you're doing when you don't move on is you're calling God a liar. I know you're not meaning to, but you've got to get that in your head. If you've been forgiven and if you still wallow around in it, you are calling God a liar and saying what Christ did on the cross was not sufficient for you. Now, I'm not saying that in a mean way. That's just theological truth. Stop doing that. Okay? I'm trying to give you strength here because the enemy wants to make you feel condemned. That is a waste of your emotional energy because you're not condemned because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. So he tempts you to lose your temper and then he tries to condemn you for doing it. He tempts you in all the areas where you're weak and then he tries to condemn you for actually doing it. That's why the Bible calls him an accuser, okay? Because he even accuses us for things that we've been forgiven for. You remember that thing you did two years ago? Some of you are still wallowing in, in your sin. You're still wallowing in regret over something that happened years ago in a season of your life. A season is not your life. You've gone through a season. You've asked forgiveness. That has now been erased, if you will, from your ledger. It's over. Move forward. But Satan wants to remind you of those things. That's why he's called, the Bible calls him the accuser, constantly accusing us of things. He loves to remind us of our failures. He loves to remind us of our mistakes, okay? But that's not God. God says you're forgiven, move it along. Move on, continue to be the person I've designed you to be. The Bible says that Satan is a destroyer, right? He loves, if he can't drag you to hell any longer because you're in Christ, He wants to destroy your life. He wants to make you miserable. He wants to bring evil in. He wants to, he wants to hold you back. He wants you to not fulfill the purpose for which God has created you. You're gonna spend eternity with Him, so the next best thing for the enemy is to make you miserable here and ineffective here. He's a destroyer, the Bible says. He's also called the thief. He's called the thief because he robs us. He tries to rob us of our value and our purpose, right? And our identity. He doesn't rob us of those things. His goal, Satan's goal is to render you useless, basically useless, broken, and defeated. If he can't, if, if the war is over for your soul, if you will, the next best thing is to render you useless and defeated, okay, and broken, but where those who are in Christ and greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So some of you have to stop living out your past and living out a season and start living right now in this life and what God has called you to now. Because the past, if you've asked for it, has been forgiven. Jesus is saying, this is what the tempter does. This is what the enemy does. But in John 10.10, 10, it tells us what Jesus does. He says, the thief, Jesus says, the thief comes only to, to steal, steal things from you, to kill and destroy. I have come that may have life and have it to the full. There's the, there's the whole the battle going on. When, basically what he wanted Jesus to do in this situation while he's tempting him and he's saying, I'll give you this and I'll do that and I'll offer this. What he's tempting Jesus to do, okay, was fulfill a legitimate need. Jesus had just fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He was trying to get him to fulfill a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. That was his plan. He's not very um, creative. Get someone to fulfill a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Is there anything wrong with Jesus creating bread? That's what he was asking him to do. If you are the son of God, then tell the stone to turn into bread. 
Is there anything wrong with Jesus creating bread? The answer is no, it's not. As a matter of fact, the story of the fish and the loaves, he does it for 5,000 people. Right? Kept on, the loaves just kept on coming. You know, that's a miracle. Jesus is creating bread, okay? Out of nothing, basically. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a legitimate thing. But Satan wants him to do it in an illegitimate way. Here's what's happening. Satan is trying to get Jesus to question God, God the Father's love and provision. He's trying to get Jesus, okay, to question God's love and God's provision. If God loves you, why are you hungry? If God, if, if God loves you, then why, 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 do you, why do you still have some of these unfulfilled needs, Jesus? If your father, if God the Father loves you and is providing for you, why, are your, why is your belly still growling? Why are you hungry? Why do you still have these needs, these legitimate needs? He does the same thing to us. God loves you. Why are you still single? It's a desire that you have. Some people don't have the desire. They want to stay single. That's awesome. The Bible says that. But you do have the desire. And you're still, why, why, if God loves you, why are you still single? If God loves you, why are you struggling with that? Why, why are you still struggling with it if God loves you? If God loves you, if God loves you, why didn't that work out? Why didn't that Whatever, fill in the blank. Why didn't it work out? If he loves you, and that's a desire, and it's a need, then why didn't it work out? If God loves you, why doesn't he fill in the blank? If God truly loves you, then why doesn't he... If God loves you, why did he allow that to happen? Why did, how, could, how could a loving God allow that to happen? You see? Whisper, whisper, whisper. And that's what he's doing to Jesus. If God loves you, if he's, if he's your provider, why are you still hungry? Why do you still have that legitimate need in your life? He basically says, hey, listen, you just, listen, do you want to, you, you, listen, young lady, do you, this is what Satan will say, do you want to feel truly valued and loved? Then sleep with him. He wants to sleep with you. If, if you just if you just sleep with him, you're going to feel this value you've never felt before. You're going to feel a love that's beyond your you know all that all your the legitimate needs that you have for value and love and everything. They're going to be fulfilled if you just sleep with him. I know the Bible. The Bible's a old, dusty, uh, out of date. Just go sleep with the guy. Everybody else is sleeping. You'll have value. You'll you'll find your purpose and meaning in, in this person. And then it's like I sleep, and then it's like uh, toys broken. Then what value do you feel? See what Satan draw, does is he tries to trick us by asking us those questions. God loves you, or if, here's how. See God doesn't fulfill these things for you, or it's going to take forever. Like the next couple years is forever. It's funny he makes. It's so funny how he makes eternity seem like nothing in our minds. Eternity, we want to think about eternity, but then the next couple of years is eternity. Right? And so he gets you to, to fall into things because, oh man, you can't wait another year. You can't wait another couple of years. Five years! It might as well be forever. And forever becomes nothing to you. Right? It's a trick. He tricks you and then he traps you. He tricks you and then he basically traps you. That's his whole goal. In this case... It was Jesus' legitimate physical need. 
And that's what he was working on, his physical need. And Jesus says to him, it is written, responds. Satan says that Jesus responds right away. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So then Satan comes to again in verse 5 and it says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. Now he's quoting scripture. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. He falsely, falsely uses scripture to try to get Jesus to question God's power and God's protection. Okay? Subtleties here. All right? Love and provision, power and protection. Now Satan's kind of get Jesus to stumble and question God's power and God's protection. Because if you just throw yourself off, because if you're the son of God, it says in the Bible, it says in the word that the angels will come and you will not strike your foot against the ground. Some people believe that this was also a way for the enemy to test Jesus' um, pride. To tempt him in his pride. I'm not really sure about that. But either way, I don't want you to miss this. Scripture, okay, scripture used out of its proper context can be heresy. False. Scripture used out of its proper context can be heresy. It doesn't matter if Satan does it. It doesn't matter if I do it. It doesn't matter if anybody does it. If you use scripture out of context and and you know you're doing it, often people know they're doing it, okay, then that is heresy. But Jesus here is Jesus, okay? So basically, Jesus wrote the word. So Jesus is Jesus. He's having none of this cheap showboating just to prove to anyone um, that, you know, that, that, you know, his, his greatness or his, his, uh, his, you know, all, whatever it is to glorify himself or more importantly, from my perspective, more importantly, to test the Father's ability to protect him. He's not gonna, he's not gonna go in for this show. I'm gonna throw myself off. Everybody, in the temple, okay? This isn't some far away place. Throw yourself off and everyone will know you're the Messiah and everyone and you won't hit the ground because, and Jesus is basically saying, I am not going to test the Father's protection. His power or his protection. So Jesus says to him in verse 7, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I'm not going to test God. I know God is God and God can do it. I'm not going to test him because you say so and try to tempt me into doing something I shouldn't be doing. A legitimate thing in an illegitimate way. See, Jesus would never react to a biblical text out of context. He's not going to react to some biblical text pulled out of context. So now we know, so that's Satan's basically, that's his purpose in all of this. Separate us from God, get us to fall into these things so we're, we're, we, we break connection with God, if you will. God, on the other hand, has an entirely different purpose, okay? When he allows us, okay, to go through tempting situations. When he allows the enemy, allows the enemy to tempt us, completely different purpose. When God allows temptation in, in our li- in, in our lives, it is to bring it is to bring out the best in us and to give us an opportunity to to show that we love Him more, okay, than that desire or that need. It's an opportunity. If you're going to grow, if you're going to say you're going to conform to the image of Jesus Christ, you're going to become more like Jesus Christ. You cannot become more like Jesus Christ until you've gone through the fire, if you will. You've been refined by fire. Pure gold is refined through the fire. 
Okay, if you're going to reflect, if you if you if you continue to refine gold and refine gold and refine gold and you smooth gold out, you can see your reflection in the gold. If we're going to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives to other people, we need to be refined as gold by fire. And that's what God does when he allows temptation to come into our lives. That is his goal. And also to allow us to show him that we love him. And sometimes we fall short. But I'm going to tell you something. Let me tell you something. Because everybody kind of feels beat up sometimes when we go through these kind of things. You may have fallen short for years and years and years. But you keep plowing forward. Asking for forgiveness and moving forward. And asking for forgiveness. And getting frustrated with yourself. And the fact that, man, I thought I was more mature than that. And I still fell short. But here's the thing. The grace of God covers you the blood of christ covers you you keep moving forward there will be a time in your life and it may be years down the road where that same temptation comes and you're like why because you've been refined you've been strengthened you've learned you've matured you've been through it you understand you god has worked in your life don't be discouraged don't be discouraged Another reason it happens is to allow God to display his power at work in your life. When you go to these things, it allows God to display his power and his glory through your life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 11, Paul writes this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more about, uh, gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God uses us and God uses these situations to glorify himself through us. When we face temptation, when you and I go through temptation and we make the right choice, our Lord God is glorified. Jesus Christ is honored. My character as the, you guys, where's the guys? I'm blinded here. I'm not very good. Where are the guys who graduated? Are they still here? They took off because they're probably, all right. So they're not here. So they have to listen to tape. Um, All this talk about how spiritual they are, they left the service. No, I'm just kidding. They're awesome. They're awesome. So when you go through, when you go off to college or you do your thing, what what basically happens is as you walk through and you get tempted by different things, and there's a lot of things to tempt you, as you as you overcome those things, God is glorified. Jesus Christ is honored through your life. You, okay, your character, your character and your integrity is built. We grow in spiritual and emotional maturity. And the kingdom of God, okay, the kingdom of God is advanced when we overcome our temptations. And that's why when we go through these things, that's why God allows these things to happen so that he can be glorified. We can be strengthened and the kingdom can be advanced. Number three, when it comes to this temptation, what can we learn? Well, we, we need to realize that temptation comes in different forms. And this, this one is big, guys. This is really big. Satan's goal is to make sin look good to us. To look good. Why should you wait, man? This is so good. You having struggles with this? Just take this or do that. Or all, of it's, all of it is supposed to really look good to us. When I was in Washington, D.C. last month, I got a crash course, okay, in addiction. 
from the people who are now leading these major organizations and ministries and all kinds of things and government deals who've been through it, actually were addicted, have overcome, and now they're the ones kind of laying it all out. And here's the thing I learned. In every case, no matter what the addiction, the story was always the same. Different faces, different people, different whatever, different places. Story was always the same. The the temptation came to solve, either to solve or to relieve a problem or an issue. I got this problem. I got, I'm feeling discouraged. I'm feeling this. I'm being overwhelmed. It came, the temptation came as a way to solve, okay, or relieve a problem or an issue that the person basically had. In, in every case, It promised one thing and delivered another. In every single case, I I have been doing ministry since 1980-whatever. And in every single case I've ever come up against, including my time in Washington, in every case... He, the enemy promises one thing and delivers another. In the case of Jesus, you'll notice that he fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights. Alright? And he was, and he was hungry. So he was hungry. And the tempter comes to him in verse 4 and basically says, If you are the Son of God, then command these stones to become loaves of bread. Satan here, just so you know, from a theological standpoint, Satan is not doubting that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, What he's saying is, if you're the Son of God, and I know you are, that's what he's saying. If you're the Son of God, and I know that you are, then what I want you to do is command these, these stones to turn into bread. And here's the thing, he's, he's, he keeps on, he keeps on using scripture sometimes to, to kind of, to, to kind of twist things around. And this brings us back to our point that we've been going over, over and over and over again in the last, whatever, see, all the series that we do pretty much, right? We need to know the word of God. We need to not only, we not only, not only to read the word of God, we need to study the word of God. We need to understand it so we can stop saying things like when people are going through horrendous things in their lives. Well, this, I tell you what, brother, sister, God won't give you more than you can handle. It says that in the Bible. Oh, does it really? Where? Someone look it up right now and you quote the script. Give me the verse, give me the chapter and verse for that. It's nowhere in the Bible. What they're doing is misquoting 1 Corinthians 10.13. God will not let you be tempted, which is about what we're talking about in the context, beyond what you can bear, right? But he'll give you a way out of the temptation. That's what it says. It never says that God... How many... Raise your hand if you've gotten more than you can handle in this life. Raise your hand. Yeah, thank you. Me too. I'll raise both. Amen? Both your hands. He won't give you more than he can't handle. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I get more than I can handle. We've got... You've gotten... I know you guys. You've gotten more than you can handle. But you haven't gotten more than he can handle. When I am weak, what? Then I am... Right. His, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Because then people go, how on earth did you survive that? The word of God properly applied is our greatest weapon against the enemy. The word of God properly applied is our greatest weapon against the enemy. Jesus teaches us two important truths here. One... We need to be ready for Satan's attacks, okay? 
by making sure that the word of God is planted in our hearts. We need to have the word of God planted in our hearts. Not knowing the word of God is like going into a battle with no, no bullets in your gun. Honestly, you, we, you're going to leave here. You're going, you're leaving here. You're going to go into battle. Not knowing the word of God, okay, it's like going into the battle with a gun that's not loaded. And what are you going to do? Hit him with the gun? Throw it at him? I mean, that's the extent of it. You're going to go into this battle, my friends. You better read the word of God and you better know the word of God. That's that's exactly what Jesus teaches us. Two, this is important. This is really important, okay? Write this one down and grain it in your brain. When temptation comes, you need to react quickly and decisively to that temptation, okay? To reject that temptation. When it comes, you need to react to it quickly and you need to act decisively. It's like shock and awe. When the enemy comes, you read this over again later on, okay, this whole verse. Satan says something, bam, Jesus responds. There's no discussion. It's like, you, you say something that's a lie and try to get me tempted, and I respond, and I respond. Immediately, he responds quickly, and he responds decisively. There's exclamation points after what he says, okay? Quickly and decisively. When we do that, it's like when you're in a battle and the enemy's coming, they don't think how, they don't really know how strong you are, and all of a sudden you shock and awe them right away. They come and it's like, boom, you're giving 100%. The Bible says when that happens, the enemy flees. Right? You, you come at them, shock and awe, okay, quick and decisive, and the enemy flees. If though, if though, you choose to wait. If you choose to wait, if you, if, if you choose to waffle in your conviction, if you choose to just leave the door open, it's not going to happen. You just leave the door open, then you usually fail. Uh, you say to yourself, oh, I can, I can hang out with these guys. I can hang out with these girls. They, you know, I'm not going to get pulled into what they're doing. Oh, I can go over to my girlfriend's house and my boyfriend's house when their parents are away for the weekend. We're not going to do anything. You don't like your girlfriend? You don't think they're, you think they're hideous? Well, if they're your girlfriend or boyfriend, they probably don't think they're hideous. So if you go over to their house when their parents aren't there and you're there for a long, long time, you know, I can go away on this business trip and flirt with the person I've been flirting with in the office while we're on this business trip. Nothing's going to happen. Have you ever gone down a slide, okay, a wet slide and tried to stop halfway down the slide? Anybody? Go to Kings Island. This is a, this is, here's a sermon illustration. I want you to go to water, I want you to go to the water park, and I want you to go to Kings Island water park. I want you to get on the slide. I want you to go down halfway down. I want you to try to stop. Your bathing suit, maybe, it's going, but you, you, no one's stopping, okay? You're all, it's all, you're going down. It is once you're there, once you're halfway down the slide, okay, you're going down the slide. It is extremely difficult, okay? It is extremely difficult once you put yourself in that position to decide to stop. What you need to do is use your wisdom and follow the principle of prior choice. The principle of prior choice says this. Decide beforehand what you're going to do in a certain situation. Like, parents are going away. Should I really go hang out at her house? Hmm. 
Decide beforehand what you're going to do in that situation because she may ask or he may ask, okay, what are you going to say beforehand? Because once you, once you're asked, you feel awkward. Once you're there, it's very difficult. So decide beforehand what you're going to do because once you're in this situation, it is very difficult, okay, to not do what Satan's kind of luring you in to do. You know, real fast before I, before I move on, we're almost done here. Um, I went, I'm going to go back and say this again. Satan loves to, to trap you, okay, with, oh, this, uh, this will just be so awesome for your life. If, if you would do, if, you know, you're feeling horrible, this is really going to help if you drink this, or this is really going to help if you take that, or this is really going to help if you would do this, or you would do that. I mean, I said in the first service, and I want to say this again, because someone walking out said, I never thought about that. Okay, think about this, how, how these things work. Satan gets you involved, okay, and you take the drug first, okay, an opioid. You take it and you feel euphoric. Some people do something. I don't. Okay, I've never, I've never taken drugs like, but I've had things like that in the hospital for certain things. I want to just, I want to punch someone in the face, okay? I just, I'm like, I get in a bad mood. I'm miserable. I'm like, who would do this recreationally? You know what I'm saying? Other people, they've told me it's like Christmas morning. They said that to me. But I'll tell you something. Here's what happens. You take it and it's like Christmas morning. After a while, you're not taking it to feel good. You're taking it not to feel what? Bad. You're stuck. He's, he's tricked you and then he's trapped you. Okay? Um, rise of pornography. Think about that. When it started, rise of pornography. Rise of things like Viagra. Why? Because once he tricks you, he tra- oh, this is, this is what you want. He tricks you and he traps you. And if you look at the human brain, okay, and how it functions, that causes your brain to overload and you can no longer function normally in a relationship. Does that make sense? Now I know all drugs are good for some things. What I'm saying to you is he tricks you and he traps you. Tricks you to do this, and then you realize, wow, my brain doesn't function the way it used to function. I can no longer function normally. It's a trick. It's a trap. Always. Not sometimes. Always. It's a trick and it's a trap. And you no longer do it to feel good. You do it so that you don't feel bad. In verse 8, he says, it says, The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdom of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And I'll tell you what Jesus said. Not next week. I wanted you to say that, okay? Because I wrote the sermon and it got so long that I had to break it into two parts. And I thought, no big deal. I'll do it one and I'll do the next one next week. Next week's Mother's Day. Okay? So I had to write another sermon for Mother's Day. So I will let you know in two weeks. What Jesus said, all right? Because we're not going to talk about temptation on Mother's Day, okay? Just not the topic we're going to get into. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for this awesome day you've given to us. And God, I pray for every single person here, including myself. This is tough, Lord. We're in a battle. We're in a war. I pray that you would protect each person here. I pray that you would help us and strengthen us, Lord, as we face temptation to overcome it. I pray, dear God, that you give us your strength and your power. That we would not depend on our own, that we would depend on you to overcome the struggles that we face. We love you, we trust you, we give you the praise in advance for what you're going to do in our lives. And Lord, if it takes years and years and years, I pray that we would continue to fight that battle. 
until we become more like you, until we leave this world and get a glorified body and we are perfect in you. We love you again in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you. Have a great week.